Welcome to the Non-Anxious Leader Podcast. I'm Jack Shitama, author, teacher, speaker, and coach. I focus on your spiritual, emotional, and physical well-being to help you be the best leader possible. Each episode explores research and practical tips so you can be a non-anxious presence personally and professionally. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 61 of the Non-Anxious Leader Podcast. I am Jack Shitama, and we are continuing our work through my upcoming book, If You Met My Family, You'd Understand, A Family Systems Primer. Today, I'll be going through chapter six, the leverage of the dependent, and going through two concepts. One is the conflict of wills, and the other is this concept of the leverage of the dependent. So without further ado, here is chapter six of If You Met My Family, You'd Understand. Chapter six, the leverage of the dependent. The willingness to accept responsibility for one's own life is the source from which self-respect springs. Joan Didion. There is a tension in families between individuality and togetherness. If everybody is acting as an individual without emotional connection, it is typically because the anxiety in the system became so intense that they couldn't function in connection. If everybody succumbs to surrounding togetherness pressure and there is no individuality, then they have constant connection without differentiation. This also increases anxiety in the system, but instead of withdrawing emotionally, people press even harder to connect. In the first case, there is too much emotional distance. In the second, there is not enough. At one extreme is a family that has very little connection. They don't call each other, don't get together, even for special occasions, and may not have seen each other for years. It's likely this pattern developed because of an inability to function in healthy ways. Anxiety prevailed, and the only way people could deal with it was to completely disconnect. It's easier to never connect than to have to deal with a fight in every conversation, or, conversely, to feel like you cave in every time because you have no capacity to stand up for yourself in a healthy way. At the other extreme is the family that is so close that it's suffocating. Everyone must agree or nothing happens. Often this is driven by a matriarch or patriarch. What they say goes. Everyone falls in line and the ability to self-differentiate is non-existent. If you do take a non-anxious emotional stand, the anxiety unleashed on you will whip you back into shape. There is plenty of connection but no self-definition. Of course, the balance is a system where people can say what they believe while giving others the freedom to disagree. This requires at least one person to act in self-differentiated ways. If you are that person, you'll need to be prepared for the anxiety this kind of behavior will provoke. You must be able to maintain a non-anxious presence even in the midst of emotional sabotage. In the cutoff system, this will occur when you try to reconnect. Anxious others will perceive it as you trying to tell them what to do. Staying connected without reacting anxiously will be hard. It will feel counterintuitive, 
but it will give you a chance to get to a new place of both self-definition and emotional connection. In the suffocating system, self-differentiating will be about taking a stand, zigging when everyone else wants to zag. This will create havoc. Anxious others will wonder what's wrong with you. But remaining self-defined and non-anxiously connected can start to change the system. Since every family is dysfunctional to one degree or another, understanding this tension between self-definition and emotional connection is important. To do this, it's helpful to understand the conflict of wills. The conflict of wills. The conflict of wills occurs in a system in which people try to convert others to their own way of thinking. If I am able to say what I believe, then I am self-defining. If I require you to believe the same thing, I am defining you. I'm trying to convince you that I am right and you are wrong if you disagree with me. This creates surrounding togetherness pressure, which increases anxiety. The hardest thing to do is to say what you believe while giving others the freedom to disagree. If you can do this, it will reduce the conflict of wills in the system, which will reduce the anxiety. It gives people permission to be themselves, even if that is not what you want them to be. The interesting thing about this is that the more you try to make somebody else in your own image or in an image you want, the more likely they will be to push back and go in the opposite direction. Edwin Friedman has said the hardest thing to do is to push somebody you care about in the direction you fear most. The conflict of wills can occur in a system where everybody must agree. This is the epitome of surrounding togetherness pressure. A conflict can also occur in a system where people become polarized because certain personalities create division and people have to choose whose side they are on. This not only increases anxiety, but it also keeps the system stuck as people continue to define others and to try to get them to see their way of thinking, and people push back against that. The conflict of wills is especially present when a system contains emotionally dependent people. The leverage of the dependent. An emotionally dependent person is one who is unable to define herself apart from another. The typical case might be someone who needs the approval of another to feel validated. The approval might come from a parent, spouse, friend, coworker, boss, or any or all of the above. We all like to feel valued, but dependency leaves one feeling anxious and insecure without it. An article by Leon F. Seltzer, Ph.D., in Psychology Today distinguishes between dependency and support. The latter is about healthy emotional connection. Support is having people who care about you and are willing to walk alongside you. Dependency not only requires connection, it requires continual, unconditional love because when we are dependent, we can't validate ourselves. And because dependency is rooted within us, we can never receive enough validation. The more we rely on the reassurance of others, the less capable we will be to value ourselves. Dependency is the opposite of self-differentiation. Seltzer puts it this way, quote, 
The problem here is that it's difficult to love someone and let them be free to be who they are when, unconsciously, we need them to help us cover up past insecurities. These insecurities originate much less from our present-day partner as from our earlier history, most often because, while growing up, our parents weren't able to make us feel securely attached to them. End quote. Seltzer doesn't blame the parents, as he shouldn't. He points out that a child is unable to communicate her own emotional needs, that many parents or caretakers have little idea of what's really in the best interests of the child, and a parent is not capable of giving a child what they never received in their own upbringing. This last point is key. This is the family system's concept of generational transmission. We basically pass on what we know, whether healthy or dysfunctional. If you were never loved unconditionally by your parents, it's likely they never felt that either. This doesn't mean you have to withhold that from your own family. It just means that it will be harder to do it naturally. And the best way to do this is to work on yourself first. Learn to value who you are. This will help you to self-differentiate. At this point, it's helpful to clarify the difference between being dependent, codependent, and interdependent. We have already defined dependent. Codependency is a form of dependency with a rather perverse twist. The form of validation required by a codependent person is the need to be needed. They feel worthless unless they are needed to make sacrifices on behalf of another. This need to be needed by the other gives them a sense of purpose. Of course, it takes two to tango. In a true codependent relationship, the one who is needed is dependent. Either she needs the codependent one to constantly care for her needs, or she is codependent herself. Yes, a codependent relationship can have two people who constantly sacrifice for the other without ever defining themselves. They define themselves by their willingness to care for the needs of the other. If the partner of a codependent is simply dependent, she comes to rely on the codependent one for validation. Contrast dependency and codependency with interdependency. Self-differentiated people express themselves in interdependent ways. The heart of this is a healthy emotional connection that values the other without trying to define her. It also values self without needing another to validate or define oneself. Each person is able to express her own emotions and needs without tugging on the other to meet them. Each one has her own identity that is not defined by the relationship. Let's look at an example. If a family member, take your pick, spouse, parent, sibling, child, says, you don't love me if you don't do this for me, then they are acting dependently. The this could be anything. Remember, family systems is about emotional process, not the content of the process. If you adapt to this demand, that is, give in without an argument, you will perpetuate their dependency. The more you do it, the more likely they will hold you hostage and the more resentment you are likely to feel. If you get personal validation out of doing this, that is, if you willingly sacrifice to meet the demand of the other, then you are codependent. If you say, I'm sorry, I can't do that for you, 
but I'll try to show you other ways that I love you than your self-differentiating. In any system, the dependent people have the leverage, but only as long as we let them. They make demands of others rather than self-differentiating. They need others to feel loved and validated. This holds us hostage unless we are willing to self-differentiate. The problem is that if you self-differentiate with the dependent, they will take it personally. The response may vary from anger at you, feeling victimized by you, trying to guilt you into compliance, or some combination of these. It's all about getting you to do what they need so they can feel loved and validated. This is called sabotage. When you self-differentiate with a dependent person, their anxiety levels will go up and they will work hard to get you to comply with their demands. I should note that sabotage is unwitting. I had someone in an online class remark that they did not like the term sabotage as it implied intentionality. I get this. But in family systems theory, the idea of sabotage is that the dependent in a system feel uncomfortable with change, so they unwittingly work to change things back. When someone who is dependent is suddenly faced with a self-differentiating person who no longer complies with her demands, she will get angry, coerce, beg, blame, guilt, plead, or use any other means to get her way. The means themselves will vary but the process is the same, to put on the full court press to get her way. If you remain a non-anxious presence in the face of sabotage, the anxiety and pushback will increase. What you are doing is making the dependent one responsible for her own condition. Instead of validating her, you are leaving her to validate herself without leaving her on her own. That's what it means to be a non-anxious presence. You are not allowing her anxiety to get you to comply with her demands, but you are staying connected to her emotionally. This is important. If you don't comply but are not connected, she will continue her dependent ways and will ultimately find other ways to meet her demands. This might be good for you, but it doesn't help her. We'll dig into how to deal with sabotage in the next chapter. For now, understand that you are not growing unless you experience sabotage. Every system has emotionally dependent people. Change will make them feel uncomfortable. If you are not experiencing sabotage, you are not changing how you function. Systems get stuck because dependent people make demands and we, when we are unable to self-differentiate, comply with their demands. We think it's easier to give in than to take a stand. Or we take a stand, but we don't connect emotionally. Either case will make things worse. In the former, the dependent one will continue to make demands, and it will get harder and harder to change. In the latter, where we self-define but don't stay connected, she will find ways to triangle to express her displeasure. As long as you focus on trying to change the dependent, you will feel frustration and stress. This is a conflict of wills. For example, if someone makes a demand and says she doesn't feel valued, you try to convince her that you do value her. But no matter what you say, the only way to pacify her is to meet her demand. You are stuck. This is because you're trying to convince her that you do value her, but she doesn't value herself. Here's the good news. If you focus on self-differentiating, 
on remaining a non-anxious presence, then you have the leverage. Why? Because now, instead of you having to change her mind, she has to change your mind. Instead of you having to convince her that she's valued, she has to convince you to meet her demands. Now she will feel the stress and frustration. That's when the sabotage comes. If you can maintain a non-anxious presence through the sabotage, you will give her a chance to find a new, healthier place of functioning. I've seen this at work in families, congregations, and work systems. It's not easy, but it's the only way. Questions for reflection. What demands do the dependent make on you? When do you act dependently? In either of the above situations, what can you do to take responsibility for yourself? And that's it for chapter six. This is not easy material to process. I have worked on it for nearly three decades and I'm still working on it myself. But what I've tried to do is make it as understandable as possible because I know that it helps us to function in more healthy ways. So if you are having questions about this, if you're not sure exactly what something means, I encourage you to get in touch with me. You can do that by going to the nonanxiousleader.com, subscribing to my blog, then you'll get my email address and you can correspond directly with me. I'd love to hear what you think. So until next time, thanks and goodbye. Thank you for listening. If you found this episode helpful, there are two things you can do to help others find this podcast. First, tap the subscribe button on your podcast app. And second, leave a review. I appreciate your help. Finally, you can find more resources as well as subscribe to my blog at thenonanxiousleader.com. Now, go be yourself.